You're listening to Behind the Scene at NTSB. My name is Leah Walton. And I'm Stephanie Shaw. Thank you for joining us as we talk with the people and learn more about the work being done here at NTSB. Welcome to episode 44 of Behind the Scene at NTSB. As we tape this episode, we are coming to the close of National Teen Driver Safety Week, and motor vehicle crashes are a leading cause of death for teens in the U.S. The NTSB has long advocated for preventive measures that would mitigate teen driving-related crashes, including enactment of comprehensive GDL laws and then other countermeasures that would help to address some of the common causes of teen driver-related crashes. Leah and I have a full panel of guests for our conversation today. We are excited to welcome, um, and I'm going to go in order of who has been at the NTSB the longest, since we have a good group of folks, Steve Blackestone, who is the state and local liaison in the NTSB Government and Industry Affairs Division, Nick Worrell, who is the chief of the NTSB Safety Advocacy Division, Kenny Bragg, senior investigator in NTSB's Office of Highway Safety, and the newest addition to our advocacy team is Brian Delaney, a safety advocate in the NTSB Safety Advocacy Division. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Thank for, you having for having us. Thanks for having Thank us. you. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're really looking forward to this conversation today. Before we dive into the conversation, we are going to offer you all an opportunity to share a little bit of your background, which we do in every podcast. So we're going to start with Nick. Nick, welcome back to the podcast. We've had you on uh, our podcast a few times before, but if you can please briefly share a little bit about your background and how you arrived at the NTSB. Uh, thank you all for having me. And thanks for the great work that you're doing on the podcast, how I arrived at NTSB. Uh, the gentleman, Steve Blackenstone, on this call um, when I was an intern uh, coming through a program uh, and wanted to go on Capitol Hill to serve as an intern. They had no slots available. And a friend of Steve called him up and asked if you can take this young man on in government affairs. And that's how I ended up here some 20, maybe over 25 years ago. Uh, and it's been a privilege and it's been a one, wonderful opportunity working in advocacy and alongside yourself and people like Steve Black and Stone, Brian and, and all of you. Great. And Steve, I'll pivot to you. Um, while you have been here the longest, unfortunately, we are coming up to your retirement date, which I am very sad about. But um, I'm glad that we can have you on the podcast. This is your first time on the podcast. So if you'll give us a little background on uh, your experience and what brought you to the board. Sure. Well, I started my career working as a legislative assistant for a member of Congress and then had a couple of other jobs on the Hill working for congressional committee staffs. Not unlike Nick, a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, we're looking to hire somebody here at NTSB to create a state and local liaison program. Would you be interested? Mm -hmm. I thought, sure, it'll be a great opportunity for a couple of years to change of pace. And <laughs> some 30, 30 some years later, I'm still still here trying to figure out what I want to do next. <laughs> Well, like I said, we're sad that your your what's coming next is coming quickly. Um, but we're uh, we're happy that we had you for so long, and I'm you know thrilled that I got a chance to work with you over the over well, the time that I've been here. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> Kenny, let's uh, go over to you. You also have been on the podcast a few times before, but if you'd give us very brief background on what brought you to the board. Okay, I've been to the board. I've been at the board here about nine years. Um, mm -hmm. I first learned of the board after attending one of the uh, distracted driving sessions that was in the uh, boardroom. Uh, I had a conversation with a gentleman who, who turned out to be the director of Office of Highway Safety, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. piqued my interest, and nine years later, I'm still here. Um, so it's uh, it's been a great career. I love working here, and it's been fun working with all of you. And it's funny, even before Brian uh, Delaney got here, I worked with him in some of his advocacy work. So it's been a really good experience. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. And Brian, let's pivot to you. You are the brand new safety advocate in the Office of Safety Advocacy. We're so happy to have you on board. Um, and while you are, you know, the youngest team member, you have a very lengthy background on uh, on transportation safety. So why don't you share a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to our audience? Well, thank you, Leah. Thank you, Stephanie. It's great to be on the podcast. Uh, as a, a listener for uh, many years, uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad to be a, a guest on the podcast. So it's great to be here. Um, I've been involved in traffic safety for nine years, although I've only been at the NTSB just over a month. Uh, <laughs> but I had the opportunity to intern at the NTSB, like many of my fellow panelists on the on the podcast today for 15 months when I was in college. Um, My experience, like many in this industry, started out a tragedy. And so I'm excited to work in safety advocacy and work on issues that are important to me that can make a difference for my peers and the public, uh, the the mobile public across the United States of America. Before coming here, I I had an opportunity to work with the American Highway Users Alliance as their communications coordinator and also in the United States Department of Transportation Office of the Secretary, uh, National Organizations for Youth Safety and Students Against Destructive Decisions as an intern. So it's exciting to be here to continue my advocacy work for issues that I'm very passionate about and excited to be a a guest on the Behind the Scenes NTSB podcast. So thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. We're so happy to have you on board. So as Stephanie mentioned, um, this week has been Teen Driver Safety Week, October 18th through the 22nd. And uh, just to get us started, you know, I'm going to open it up to the to the full panel. What is Teen Driver Safety Week about? Well, I can start. Uh, Teen Driver Safety Week is an awareness week. It's been happening, a national awareness week to bring awareness to all of the issues, issue areas and risks that impact teen drivers. Uh, Teen drivers are uh, a high-risk group of individuals due to their inexperience um, and their new experiences on the road. And so they're impacted by a lot of the issue areas or risks that uh, all drivers are uh, impacted by, but sometimes disproportionately. And so Teen Driver Safety Week is an opportunity for us to raise awareness around issues related to distracted driving, drowsy driving, seatbelt and occupant protection, um, and, and a lot of the other issue areas that, uh, that impact these, these young drivers. So uh, it's been a great opportunity to talk about these issues and make sure that the general public is aware and also educate peers of teens, teens and parents on how to address these concerns, uh, raise awareness and make sure that our teen drivers stay safe on the roads. It's been, uh, it's been around for quite some time and um, started from a couple of senators and our congresspeople from Pennsylvania. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's been a great opportunity um, and, and a national initiative that many uh, of our friends in the safety field and including the NTSB has been involved in uh, since its beginning in working on uh, teen driver safety. And so uh, it's really blossomed into a great program, a great opportunity for us to, to partner with some of our our friends in the safety field that work with youth particularly, and uh, like I said, raise awareness around these issues that impact them each and every day they drive. If I can add to what Brian said also, it's in terms of raising awareness, but I think it's one of all ways to also connect, connect with the youth audience and let them know that we care 
we care about this area. We care about you in terms of your driving and what's uh, a number one killer of things. It's it's our way to show show teens as well. We do it all year round, but during this time, it's a special emphasis to show them that, hey, we care about you because you're important to us. And on that, Nick, um, you said, you know, we we do care. And obviously, um, motor vehicle crashes, they are a leading cause of death for teens. Can you give me a ballpark of how many teens are killed or injured in traffic crashes as uh, drivers or passengers each year? Yeah, the ballpark figure is uh, around three or over 3,000 around that um, that ballpark. And I know some of you can correct me on that, that ballpark figure. And they're all preventable crashes. They're all preventable in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. And when you say 3,000, that is uh, fatalities, correct? Yes, correct. So many, many more uh, injuries. Yeah. Um, right. About, I would say there, I think the the latest numbers in 2019, over 200,000 injuries mm-hmm. as a result yeah. of teen driving crashes. Sure. And uh, you mentioned uh, they are preventable. What what are these causes that are preventable for teen driving crashes? Well, I mean, I, I can kick it off. There's preventable crashes, it's distracted driving is one. Uh, you don't have to use your cell phone while driving. Speeding, you don't have to speed. You can drive the speed limit. Uh, fatigue, you don't have to drive fatigue. You can get enough rest. Uh, in terms of the GDL laws, you can really follow the GDL system without um, going over the nighttime restriction or going over the number of passengers that you're supposed to carry in a car. So these are all these are all some some pieces that we can that that that's all preventable. And most of these sometimes are, are the causes of the various crashes that we see. I'm sure Steve and others can weigh in. I would say, you know, I think a lot of people probably don't realize that teen drivers are um, the group of drivers who are most likely to fall asleep behind the wheel. Um, mm-hmm. I know I have um, an older son who's already gone to graduated driver's licensing and license and another teen who's going through that now. And um, even working in this space, I honestly, until NTSB did some work around this, did not realize that teens were um, at great risk of falling asleep behind the wheel. Nick, you were talking about distraction. I know as an, as NTSB, as an agency, distraction first came on the scene for us with um, other teens in the vehicle as the distraction long before we we saw cell phones introduced into that environment too. So um, a lot of a lot of things, unfortunately, that contribute to, like Brian said, them being inexperienced and then just adding other layers of risk on top of that. And while you didn't mention uh, impairment, uh, while we all know that it is illegal for teens under the age of 21 to consume alcohol and drugs, we know from our data that it is still happening and that they are getting behind the wheel after this takes place. Um, And so that also, you know, one thing that I always I always uh, say is that impaired driving, no matter what age, is 100 percent preventable. Um, You can, you know, choose to consume alcohol and or other drugs, or you can drive, you, sh- you cannot do both. But just as a reminder, it is illegal for people under the age of 21 to consume alcohol and other drugs. <laughs> right. Steve or Nick or Kenny, maybe Steve will start with you on this one. The NTSB sure. has had a long history of, of making recommendations aimed um, at preventing teen driver related crashes. And um, can you take us uh, on a little walk through history of uh, where the NTSB started with that? Sure. Uh, actually, 
NTSB's first recommendations addressing teen drivers date back almost to the very beginning of the agency in the late 1960s, when we made several recommendations regarding ways to improve driver education. Uh, in 1982, uh, NTSB recommended that states adopt raise their minimum drinking age to 21, the minimum age of purchase of alcohol, as an effort to try and reduce impaired driving crashes among teenagers, which in those days was quite a high percentage of the teenage fatal crashes. Sure. Then in, in the late 1990s and early 2000s, we began looking at graduated driver licensing as a way of addressing the problem of teenagers who were just inadequately prepared to drive, to operate a motor vehicle. Uh, in 2002, we investigated a crash which occurred on the Capitol Beltway in Largo, Maryland, in Prince George's County, which Kenny Bragg is very familiar with, uh, in which a young woman was driving in a very difficult situation and talking on her cell phone. Uh, and to make a long story short, out of that came a recommendation to the states that they add to their graduate driver licensing um, uh, scheme, a restriction on the use of cell phones while driving. Sure. Uh, we followed that up a year later with a recommendation um, to uh, add a passenger restriction to the number or to the graduate driver licensing um, scheme. And then in 2003, we held a two-day public forum on driver education and ways to improve the quality and the effectiveness of driver education, which led to recommendations uh, to the Department of Education and NHTSA. Basically, we asked the Department of Education, you all are the experts on how to educate people, how to, how to train people up. Give us your best wisdom on how to take what you know and apply it to this task of driving. And then to NHTSA to, to take uh, the wisdom that we could gain from Department of Education and turn it into a model driver education curriculum. Uh, since then, we've investigated a number of other crashes, made other tweaks to our graduated driver licensing uh, recommendations, but that really is the heart of the matter. The key is that ever since its inception, NTSB has been concerned about young drivers and teen driver safety. Sure. And one of our boldest uh, recommendation, I don't know if it was, uh, I think a teen or a young driver or distracted driving recommendation calling for a ban on all portable electronic devices was involved, a young driver. Um, and, um, yeah, he was texting, texting, texting while driving, drivers, yeah. right? Yeah, and he unfortunately lost his life, but he caused a pretty horrific uh, crash as a result of his decision. And, and we're not, and, and, you know, for the audience, we are not referencing these to elevate the crashes, but we're showing you the severity of what's in what's involved uh, with some of the teen drivers because, again, of uh, some of the young uh, and young, they're young, they're inexperienced, their brains are still developing, they're still learning a lot of things, a lot, a lot is being thrown at them. And when you give a, 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 a very large, powerful vehicle and put it in their hands, you're given a heavy and big responsibility to them. Well, Nick, I think it's important that we do we do highlight some of these crashes. One of the things that that are challenging about teens is they can't always predict outcomes, and so right. it's really important that we help them understand what could happen mm -hmm. and the right. importance of their decisions. Yep. Yeah, because yeah, because as we know, decisions equals destiny, and, and, and you make a decision. Uh, to either drive distracted, drive impaired, or one of them, there, there are going to be outcomes. You know, 
Yeah. Kenny, I think one thing that you just said about, um, you know, they're bad at, well, I think some of us, you know, no matter what age you might be bad at predicting an outcome, right? But um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that something that has stuck out to me, we've talked about internships at NTSB. And I know we had a group of interns one time who shared with us, we always try to tap into them. Like uh, Steve said, you know, how do you, how do you reach teens with messages and best educate them? They often shared that, that one of the problems that they knew that they had was, like you said, they, they don't go into a situation thinking that, gosh, if this goes wrong, I could potentially kill myself, you know, or somebody else because of these actions. Brian, you have done a lot of work with youth organizations who, um, who go into high schools and, and work specifically with, with teens. What have you found in your, in your work um, really works to help kind of carry that message to, to teens or peers carrying it to, to other teens? Yes, you, you, you really touched on it, and that's, that's uh, the peer-to-peer education and communication is essential. Uh, the best way for us to communicate with teens is to see how teens want to be communicated to. And I think having open, honest conversations with teens, looking at the ways that they're communicating with each other, the platforms that they're talking to each other on, or the ways in which they speak, that's the best way to communicate to a young person. Um, I think sometimes... It can be difficult to uh, exchange messages on safety and get teen buy-in, but I think that there are ways that we can communicate with them through peers. Um, When I was in high school, I was involved in Students Against Destructive Decisions, and one of my personal goals always was to be a positive example for my peers. And that included creating messages in ways that resonated with young people instead of reaching them in the ways that might be the most convenient for uh, adults to speak with them, whether it be through, um, you know, television or, or through just parental conversations or as, as an adult talking to a teen. Um, that is an effective way to communicate with them, but it might not be the best way because teens will listen to their peers uh, first. Um, and so I think that that's a really important concept to, to grasp is that the youth voice is powerful and impactful. And it is one of, in my opinion, one of the best ways that we can touch young people is to instill great driving habits in these messages that resonate with them and allow them to communicate that to their peers. And I think through technology, now that we have technology through programs like Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, developing messages through that in ways that communicate with them, but making sure that the message comes from teens and it's genuine is really important. And I think that's how we can effectively communicate with them. And that's what I've found, at least through my experience, working with sad and noise and in one instant is the best way to communicate with young people. And Brian, you're being incredibly humble. Um, you have not, you've said that you wrote, worked with sad, but you did not really, uh, share with our audience that you were in fact sad student of the year Um, and I want you to kind of share a little bit about what brought you to um, to that rank in in the sad organization and just kind of talk a little bit to our audience about what it was that inspired you in the first place to get involved in students against destructive decisions well, well, thank you uh, for this opportunity to talk about that Um, like I mentioned uh, in my introduction my my journey didn't necessarily start in the most positive manner and and rather started as a result of a tragedy. Um, In July 2013, a friend of mine was killed in a distracted driving crash. Uh, 
and my friend was in a head-on collision. He was in the back seat and was the only person in the car that chose not to wear his seatbelt. And he was killed on impact in this in this car crash as a result of this car crash. And this tragic event was devastating to my community, devastating to my peers, to myself, to the family. Um, and witnessing that made me want to ensure that this never happened to anyone again. No family had to experience this again. No friends, no sisters, no brothers, no parents, guardians, community had to experience something like this again. And so through that, my involvement in SAD really uh, blossomed. I, I, I had the opportunity to collaborate with my local SAD chapter um, in, in a small town in East Hampton, Massachusetts, where this where this young man um, was born and raised, and had the opportunity to create programs through my local SAD chapter to raise awareness around distracted driving, create videos that were vetted through my peers that, that had messaging that they were interested in and develop events and programs that resonated with them. One of the more unorthodox ways of communicating traffic safety messages that we did in our community was through a concert. And it was a country music concert that all the, the real purpose of it was to deliver messages to adults and young people on the risks and dangers of unsafe driving behaviors like distracted driving, drunk driving, drowsy driving, and drug driving. And the event was was very successful and it reached adults and, and young people and kind of utilizing music to bring them together, something that you know teens and adults can both come together around and sharing a, a more important or a strong message about the risks of distracted driving. It was very successful, and, and, and through that opportunity, um, I was selected as SAD National Student of the Year um, and had the opportunity to work with SAD and deliver messages on distracted driving and really bolster this passion, this motivation to make sure that, or at least work towards zero distracted driving and traffic crashes uh, and fatalities for young people. And through SAD, I had the opportunity to uh, create or work on their a SAD National Conference, um, as well as some effective programs and opportunities to communicate with young people, deliver those messages, craft those messages that me as a young 18-year-old, 17-year-old <laughs> high school student wanted to hear and, and create these messages that my peers would also want to hear and resonate with them. So it was a really great opportunity, and and through that really kickstarted this this journey that I'm on in, in traffic safety advocacy, and and although I always say I, I wish that I didn't have to do this, uh, I wish that there was zero fatalities on the road, and I wish that you know my peer was not killed in a car crash, mm -hmm. um, but I'm always inspired by young people that are taking action, young people that are utilizing their voice, being creative, and really trying to make a difference in the world of traffic safety. And, and I, I, I'm always very inspired by, by that mission and by their motivation as well. Mm -hmm. And I met you, Brian, uh, when you were uh, the intern at NHTSA, because one of the uh, benefits of being the SAD National Student of the Year is that you get a three-month 
two-month internship at the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration at the end, right before you go on to college. And one thing that uh, kind of stuck out for me with you in particular um, was your passion for traffic safety. Not every student who gets involved in SAD necessarily has their passion in traffic safety. Um, there are lots of different um issues that students are facing that SAD gets involved with, um, traffic safety, suicide prevention, bullying, all of those things. And uh, we were just kind of lucky that, you know, that you had the passion for traffic safety. And I just hope that any young person that's listening to this podcast um, can kind of take Brian as an example that, you know, if you have a passion in anything, um, you know, explore it, work on it, you know, see what you can find for opportunities to really develop that because you never know where it can take you. I highly doubt, Brian, that when you <laughs> interned at NHTSA, you know, how many years ago, that, you know, that today you would have an actual, you know, career at the NTSB doing something so connected to a personal cause um, that you started working on, you know, so many years ago. But here you are, and we're so thrilled to have that in the NTSB. It's a huge asset for safety advocacy to have someone who has not only the skills and the, um, you know, the voice, but also the passion behind it. So. Thank you. Yeah, it, it is. A, it's truly a blessing. And, and I have to say, um, you know, for for the educators or the adults that are listening to this podcast, um, I, I I cannot think <laughs> I, I would not be where I am without support of mentors and teachers and, and adults that have, um, you know, supported me and guided me. Uh, I, I had an incredible health teacher in high school. Her name was Miss Dunn. And without Miss Dunn's guidance and her support and her mentorship, um, you know, I don't I don't know where I would be today with with this efforts. You know, I, I owe a lot to her and her support. And and I think that that's also something to remember is that, that there are mentors and adults out there that can recognize young people who have that passion and that motivation and they may not know where to take it or, or how to really embrace it and make a difference. And I think it's really important as teachers in high school, um, even professors in college and in parents and uh, community leaders for organizations that students are involved in, um, to, to that investment in a young person um, can make a, a whole difference in, in their life and in their life and, and how they advance and, and pursue that motivation and that, that desire to make a change. So, you know, I, I owe a lot, uh, to where I am to, you know, mentors like Miss Dunn, like you, Leah, like Nicholas and, uh, my, my college professors and those in this community of traffic safety advocates that have inspired me and supported me and mentored me. And I think that there's a lot of young people, I'm sure, that share a similar experience as I do, having a mentor that they can look to and thank for that support. And I think that, you know, this world of traffic safety is a family and it takes a lot of people coming together as a team and as a family um, to achieve zero and to help young people reach that goal and, and really chase that motivation and pursue that passion. So I think that's also really important uh, for me to mention as well. Yeah. I would say that's a good transition to, uh, to Steve, who uh, mentored two once young people who came to the NTSB as interns, uh, Nick and I, about 
like Nick said, over 20 years ago, Nick is someone who invested in us and our advocacy work. And I know one of the first opportunities I had to work with Steve and really kind of realized that that this was a space that I wanted to work in is on the state legislative side. And so one of the, the I think the biggest recommendations that we've made on as it relates to teens is for our call for the states to adopt comprehensive graduated driver's licensing laws, which touched on it briefly. But Steve, can you just um, share what what a comprehensive GDL looks law looks like? Sure, Stephanie. I graduated driver licensing system really is a three-step process by which a young person uh, obtains their, their un, unrestricted driving privilege. The first phase is the learner's permit phase in which a young, young driver would be driving only while supervised by an adult, typically someone over at the age of 21. Uh, and during that time, they're learning the basic skills of driving. Uh, after they complete a, a six or nine months, depending on the state, uh, learner permit phase and pass their practical tests. They then um, move into an intermediate phase where they can drive on their own without supervision, but with under restricted circumstances. The goal there is to enable dri drivers to be able to drive in safer conditions. So you avoid things like driving late at night, driving with large number of passengers, driving while using an electronic device of, of any type. And so that they can get more experience about driving while they're in a relatively safer condition. And then the final phase is, is complete licensure, which would occur only after successful completion of the intermediate phase. That means for whatever the length of period the state's chosen, but typically between six months and a year, they've, they've driven without uh, any uh, at-fault at uh, crash or uh, having received any sort of traffic ticket. Um, the systems vary a lot among the states. Not every, not any state has a perfect system. They all have a variety of provisions and they all have gaps in some sort or another. But every state has some form of a graduated driver licensing system. See, what are some of the, I guess I would say the, the challenges or, or why is there such, um, still such gaps? I mean, we, we NTSB made that recommendation almost uh, what, almost, almost two decades ago? <laughs> yeah, it's been and about, we're still, you it's know, been about and we 20 know. years. Right. Well, I suppose the simple answer goes to the nature of the political process itself. Uh, these systems are, are implemented by passing, by state legislatures passing new laws. The legislatures are always dealing with conflicting considerations, uh, which lead them to make compromises. Uh, there's... Um, in a, in a number of areas, there, there have been pushback to these laws. One is um, that it, it can, in many ways, be inconvenient for, for teenagers and their families, and legislators are sensitive to that. Um, in rural areas, for example, oftentimes kids start driving farm equipment and machinery far before they, long before they start driving uh, right. cars on the roads and get their driver's license. And so the feeling was, why should we subject these kids to all of these obstacles when they have learned how to drive on the farm. Mm. Uh, in many families, uh, they really are really looking to be dependent on the on the teenager to assist with the transportation of younger siblings uh, or elderly parents or the like. Um, so there are a lot of there's always obstacles to any legislation, and largely it's just a product of of compromise. Sure. 
Kenny, we often hear a lot when we're working on state legislative efforts that enforcing traffic laws can be can be challenging, especially when you're you know trying to gauge the age of a young person before joining NTSB. You were uh, a police officer in Maryland. Can you talk a little bit about what um, you know? Is that is that true? Is it hard to enforce these, or what are some of the challenges, if any? Um, it, you know, my experience was when we first started the um, when I first started the career in law enforcement, um, there was no GDL system, and so when it when it came in, into to place, um, wasn't very well understood not only by other law enforcement officers but by the by the public. But as the, as the law kind of took hold and people began to enforce it, you saw the benefit because you would you would see kids that were doing things that were really risk behavior, risky behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, they were being being held accountable, and more importantly, their parents became involved, and that was the key um, because you know parents really have to um, exhibit the driving behavior that they want their right. kids to display, and mm-hmm. then they really have to have some understanding that. You know, you give this kid a car and send him out to the world. He's not going to really, he's not always going to perform as you would expect, even though, even if they know what mm-hmm. to do. So it was, it was really interesting to see how you know some of those incidents that we saw um, involving teens begin to decline, and and the, the result was parents and and the community was becoming more involved. Just to follow up on that, Stephanie, one of the big objections that we hear, heard from legislators was we don't want the state telling parents how to raise their children. Sure. Uh, we, we don't want that interjection. As Kenny pointed out, what's critical to graduate driver licensing is that it's, it's enforced by the parents much more so than by law enforcement. And really these laws empower parents to make the best decisions they can to protect the safety of their kids. It provides them with some guidance and best practices that they can use. And frankly, also, in some ways, it makes it easier for the parents to say, uh, I'd love to let you do that, but I can't because it's against the law. And they can, they can blame it on somebody else. They can blame it on, on the bad guys. And Steve I'll, 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 Steve, I'll say this. Any legislature that says we don't want to tell kids, we don't tell parents how to raise their children has never knocked on someone's door at 2 o'clock in the morning to tell them that their, their child just got killed. Hmm. I mean, that... Anyone who's ever been involved in that will absolutely realize and embrace the importance of having kids set good driving habits early and giving them structure. Yeah, and and, and I, I would like to add to that, and I mean, just picking up on what Brian even said, the one word that I heard him said, the pain that was felt in the community. Mm-hmm. Now, Brian didn't only say that the pain was felt by him, but he said the pain was felt in the community. And, and picking up on what Steve and what you said, Kenny, as it relates to parents, you know, parents don't realize the role and the involvement that they have. If they don't, some do, but, you know, I, I would echo, they, they play a big part in the driving habits of the kids. Um, there's a saying that followers are always watching what you do. Followers, and if you are a parent, you probably already realize that, you know, Stephanie, you're a parent, Steve, you're a parent, you all realize that, your kids are watching everything that you do. And I recall um, the, the coach, lead uh, UCLA basketball coach, John Wooden. Yeah, John <laughs> Wooden always used to quote a poem, and this explains it per- perfectly. And he used to say, no written word nor spoken plea can teach your youth what they should be, nor all the books on the shelf 
It is what the teachers are themselves. Okay, so the teachers, the parents really have to model. Uh, I believe it was uh, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. He said that nothing is more confusing than a, than a person who give good advice and set bad example or Albert Schweitzer mm-hmm. who said example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing in influencing others. All right. So, I mean, that that I think sums it up. The, the really importance of the parents, the importance of the parents involvement in all of this. Mm-hmm. I would say not just parents, but caregivers, because we know yeah. that, you know, there are a lot of people that have influence. Like we all said, we have mentors and other people that we look up to. So I think if the importance of if you have a, a young person in your life, you know, I mean, share share a safety message with them. They are they are watching what you're doing. And I like Nick said, if you have kids, you know that they mimic what you're doing mm-hmm. um, and that will will play out behind the wheel, too. Yeah. You know, Nick, my, my father wasn't as quite as eloquent as that, but he'd always said, never let it be said that it wasn't said. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you got to You got to have these conversations. You got to talk about scenarios. You got to yeah. talk about, you know, what to do if someone uh, cuts in front of you. And that's that's the importance of developing good driving habits. It helps you prepare for the unexpected. Yeah. So it is Friday and uh, we had a very busy week where all of you were very involved in Teen Driver Safety Week. So can you share with us um, and with our audience what it was that the NTSB did to support Teen Driver Safety Week? And I'll, sure. I'll direct that first to Brian and, and Nick and then let uh, Kenny and Steve chime in. Absolutely. I can start off. The NTSB, we, we did uh, lots of great work during Teen Driver Safety Week to raise awareness around those risks that are impacting young people each and every day they enter onto the roads. We hosted two roundtable events during Teen Driver Safety Week, one on the state of teen driver safety and one on the state of graduated driver license laws. Uh, the state of teen driver safety was a great opportunity. It, it, it focused on the perspective of some of our friends and different youth participating organizations and also featured two young people from SAD and FCCLA, which was great. And it bolsters that idea of making sure that the young person, the, the teen voice is center stage in these in these advocacy opportunities to raise awareness around the risks that that impact teen drivers, hearing what the young people uh, witness on the roads, how what risks they are seeing, what their perspectives are, and taking that into consideration, um, listening to what the young people have to say. On the state of graduated driver license laws, we had a great panel of experts in the field of traffic safety legislation and seeing how where, where GDL laws are now and where we need to go, and also taking a peek at, distra- uh, at driver's education. Mm-hmm. And, and Steve, uh, Nicholas, and Kenny were, were all on that panel. Um, so we, we had great expertise from all different facets uh, of advocates looking at the legislation to law enforcement, to individuals with expertise in driver's education, and, and making sure that we, we address these concerns that are facing young people, address the solutions that work, that, that reduce teen driving crashes. I mean, like, like Steve and Kenny mentioned, I mean, with, with GDL, research indicates that GDL systems 
are associated with reductions in, in about 19% of injury crashes and about 21% of fatal crashes for 16-year-olds, for teens. Mm-hmm. And so we see these programs are working and we have effective uh, initiatives that can reduce teen driving crashes. And in addition to that, the NTSB put out numerous resources for parents, teens, guardians, lawmakers, really the general public on, on teen driver safety. One, a teen driver tip card that provided important tips for teens so that they can follow to be safe drivers that will also be available on the NTSB's website and a GDL tip card identifying what a robust graduated driver license program can look like. Those are some great opportunities that we presented during Teen Driver Safety Week. Nick, I'll, I'll pass along to you if you have anything else. You, you, uh, sum, you, you summed it up really well, Brian. <laughs> I, I mean, our, our goal, our goal, as Brian say, is, it's as they all say, that activity and events are not necessarily accomplishments. We want accomplishments in the lives of young people. And in the advocacy realm, what we do is we, we do these things to activate, to uh, engage and to convert and to empower other advocates. NTSB is a very small agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, our advocacy team is only, what, five of us? Uh, to do all this work. And we're not just working highway safety issues. Just to let you know, we're not just working. And my team on this call knows that. So we're working a lot of issues. So that's why we rely on third party advocates, like some of the people that we had on these call uh, on the on the sessions from uh, IIHS, advocates and FCCLA, impact team drivers. You can go down and name the list. So so that's why we did what we do this week so that you can hear the message develop a conversation around this. And, and I'll say this and shut up because I know we have only a, a few more minutes. Um, uh, recently, I, I gave a, a talk to a group of teens in, in Chicago and I told them the reason why I'm talking to you and the reason why we're doing some of the advocacy work that we're doing is because they're VIPs. I call them my VIPs. And I said, you are valuable, you're important, and you are powerful. You're valuable, important, and powerful. That's why we invest in you. And that's why we want to talk to you and develop a conversation and get you engaged in this work because you're so valuable. You're so important and you're powerful because, as Brian said, you can make a difference with the voice and the work that you do as well. Thanks, Nick. We are getting to the uh, to the close of our podcast and and I wish we could talk for another whole hour, but um that that'll just have to be for another day. So as we close out, um, I want to give an opportunity for our guests to share any final thoughts that they have about teen driver safety, um, and you know maybe include um, what what our audience can do to get involved if they are so inspired to do so. Um, you know maybe include a resource or two that either the NTSB has or that you are aware of from other organizations. Just as some final thoughts before we wrap up. Quickly, I, I, I would leave you with a thought that uh, something I was reading recently or listening to and saying, I want to make a difference with people that want to make a difference. Uh, and I'll leave you with this quote. Aristotle said, uh, we are repeatedly what we do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Thanks, Nick. Kenny? Well, look, you know, normally it's, it's a tragedy that gets people to have these conversations to talk about how you know how shameful it is that we, the loss of life so I, I commend you all for for making this a conversation um, when there is no tragedy so and you guys have always offered me the opportunity to participate and talk to young people so personally I do appreciate that opportunity thanks Kenny thanks, Brian. Kenny. 
I just wanted to share one quote that I remember from my time when I was in high school as a teen that stuck that sticks with me now that I, I, I believe guides a lot of what I'm able to do. And it was a quote that said, when it comes to community, it's not about the what is, it's about the can be. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was really powerful when we look at traffic safety and teen driver safety um, and the amount of crashes that and, and teen deaths that experience every, every day and every year is that um, we can make a difference in our community if we're able to amplify our voices, empower young people, and empower our peers to make a difference by setting a positive example and practicing these, these good driving behaviors. I think that uh, a community can be improved from where it is right now, and we can make a positive change. And I encourage for a resource for, fellow, uh, for, for peers, uh, for teens and adults, um, if you have a young person, encourage them to join these youth participating organizations that can instill these great values and these good driving behaviors like SAD and FCCLA, In One Instant, uh, Impact Teen Drivers. Um, investigate these resources and join them. Um, they can expose you to so many incredible leadership opportunities that can make such a positive and powerful impact in your life. Um, far beyond what you can think of right now. So that would be my closing remarks. And just thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast. I'm excited to work on teen driver safety issues into the future. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. And Steve, as we are wrapping up the podcast and you are wrapping up your career with NTSB, um, any final thoughts that you have just kind of reflecting back on all the work that you've done on teen driver safety over the years and what you hope for the future of teen driver safety? Well, thanks. Um, I'm going to look at it for a little bit from the legislative perspective, uh, since that's the world that I live in. Uh, We saw huge uh, gains in terms of strengthening teen driver programs in the uh, early 21st century. But since about 2015, the progress has really stalled out. There's a misconception that the states took care of this problem, that they're done with it, and they've moved on to other things. Uh, But that's not the case, as evidenced by the number of numbers that we cited at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, There's still as much to be done, but I think this is an exciting time in terms of driver safety. We're seeing lots of improvements in technology, both in vehicles and roadways. Uh, We're seeing new approaches to highway safety in terms of system safety. And I think we need to recognize that we can't get complacent now when we've got a lot of new tools that are available to us to improve the system that teen drivers come into and the system that that integrates them into driving and and operating vehicles on the highway. So um, there's been a lot done. We've gotten complacent. There's a lot more to be done, but I'm optimistic that we can do it with all the changes we're seeing now. Great. Thanks, Steve. Stephanie, any final thoughts from you before we wrap things up? (laughs) I do. I think, um, like I said, you know, Steve was has been a few a huge influence um, on on my life since I've been at NTSB professionally and personally. And um, I was a young driver when I started working at NTSB. And I think that people like Steve and others around the agency who have invested in young people mm-hmm. to educate us not only on the work of the agency but just good driving habits. And and like Kenny said, um, you know, a lot of our work is around tragedy, but just the importance of having these conversations anytime, not when, you know, you unfortunately use a, lose a long per, a young person in your life or in your community that um, investing in these conversations and in youth early is so important. I would say for parents or others who have the opportunity to influence young people and in, in their um, learning to drive journey, 
um, great resources from places like Drive at Home and SAD, Impact Teen Drivers, um, FCCLA, so many great opportunities for them to find resources to have some of these tough conversations when you don't really know how to start them. Great resources are available, IHS as well. Um, so check those out. Thanks. And I will just say again, uh, starting my career uh, at Mothers Against Drunk Driving and seeing the tragedies that would occur with uh, young people in in that method of um, transportation fat or traffic fatality, um, just a reminder to uh, never consume alcohol or other drugs um, and get behind the wheel no matter what age you are. Um, I want to thank our guests for joining us, um, for our returning guests and for our new guests. It's been a great conversation today. Thank you, Stephanie, for being my great co-host. And thank you, James Anderson, for being the producer that makes us all sound fantastic. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you at our next episode. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on Behind the Scene at NTSB. Subscribe to and like us on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And don't forget, you can always find us at ntsb.gov. Thank you and bye.